0: Declaration together, then we're gonna get into the Word. Look, at your neighbor and say it's good to see you, neighbor. Look, at your other neighbor and say it's real good to see you, neighbor. All right, let's let's do this together. Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray, Father. We thank you for this assembly of believers here tonight. And if there's anyone who doesn't know you, I pray that your word speak to them tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray you would use me to speak truth. And I pray the word goes out and does what you desire it to do. Lord Jesus, use me. Take over these few moments as we give them to you, and I give these moments to you. Now, worship and honor you, give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated here tonight. One of the first verses I remember as as a child learning was Matthew 6, 33. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's one of the verses that sticks out to me from my childhood that I vividly remember memorizing and thinking about. I remember knowing this verse and seeing the importance of it, just knowing the fact that I have to put God first in my life. I learned that at a young age, that God must come before everything else. And I don't remember where I did this at either, I can't remember if it was in Sunday school or where it was, but I remember, even as a young kid, talking about a list, a list, a priority list, per se. And this list, we would list things that were the most important on top to the least important on the bottom, you know, of less importance, I will say, not least important, And I don't remember what my list was when I was a kid, but I just want to quickly just write down what I would call my priorities as a 28-year-old. I'm not 40, as some people think. I've been called 40. I'm a 28-year-old youth pastor who's about to have a son. July 26th, yes. It's very exciting. God's good. So I'm just going to go ahead... I'm going to write my priority list, and you know, if you can't read my writing, you'll get over it. I'll explain. First, of course, it's an easy one, right? God's first. Wife, second. Kid, this didn't used to be the case. Kid third. Fourth. Family. Family. And I'm going to go ahead and put friends because I have friends that are just like family to me. Fifth, what I do. Sixth, I'm just going to say finances. Seventh, myself. You got to care about yourself, people. And number eight, I'll go ahead and throw hobbies. Etc. Now, you might not like my list. To you, I say, get over it. It's my list. Amen? Say, get over my list. You might not like it, but I think it's pretty solid. One thing I've learned this list really isn't hard to make. It's really not. Not for me, it isn't. It's a lot easier to write it out than to live it out. And I remember for years trying to live out and live by this list. I remember that memory verse, that Bible verse, Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek Him first. Put Him first. And I think adults do the same thing. The danger of living by a list like this is that If you're not careful, my hand's sweating. Good grief. I'm not put. I need an adult. I need an adult. I need a senior citizen. Oh, good grief. The, The issue with living by a list like this is if you're not careful, these things on this list will just become... Check marks for you. Every week, every day. I I talked to God this morning. Check. Moving on. I went to church the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Check. Moving on. It's time to move on. It's time to focus on my wife, my kid, my friends, my job, my finances. For the longest time, I live like this. But what what if I told you tonight that God doesn't want to be on the top of your list? What if I told you that? What if I told you this is really what God wants? That God doesn't want to be at the top of your list. God wants to be at the center. God wants to be at the center where your wife... Your job, your kids, your friends, your family, even your hobbies, they all, you can read that right? The board's wobbling. They all revolve around Him. How do we keep God first? It took me years to learn this. How do I put God first? In my life, how do I seek him first? I put him at the center. I don't treat him like a check mark. He is whom my life revolves around. Our lives are to revolve around God. That's how we put him first. He is our one thing. Luke should never say, he is our one thing. He is our one thing. God is our one thing. I want to share from my heart tonight a message entitled, One Thing. Our main passage of Scripture is this. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. And this is what it says. Not that I already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Verse 13 and 14 once again. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love how the NLT puts it in verse 13. But I focus on this one thing, the goal, the one thing. Paul says, I live for this one thing. I set my focus on this one thing, and that one thing is a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing. That is what I'm chasing after. Philippians 3, 10 and 11, to just go back a little bit. Paul says this, that I may know him, Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Excuse me. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know him. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings. Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. And I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, Jesus is my one thing. And he is who I'm after. And I'm continually pressing on towards him because I have not arrived. I continue to press on toward the goal. And that's my first point of the night. The pursuit of one thing, the pursuit of Jesus, never stops. Paul lets us know in verse 12, I have not arrived. I am not made it yet. I am not where I need to be yet. If anyone had arrived, it was Paul. If you know, this is towards the end of Paul's life. He's in prison. This is towards the end of his life. This is one of his final writings. Although he had done so much, he understood that he was on a journey, that he had started a race, and that he was in the middle of that race, just like you and I. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at, if you're 15 or if you're 85, no matter where you're at in your journey, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep pursuing, keep chasing. Keep going. Never stop until your race is complete. And your race isn't complete until Jesus comes back or until you exit this world. Keep going. I love what verse 15 says. Let those who are mature think this way. What do mature people do? They don't stop pursuing. They never stop pursuing. Now... Moving on, continual pursuit of Jesus Christ and keeping our focus on him isn't always easy. That's almost a no-brainer, isn't it? It's not always easy. There's a lot of things that try to steal our focus, and I want to just pull out three things I see in Philippians 3 that steal our focus, steal our sight from seeing the goal in this passage of Scripture. I want to bring those things out, things that get in the way Of the one thing. Number one. Number one is this things that get in the way of the one thing, the past. The past. What does Paul say in verse 13? Forgetting what lies behind. Paul says to run on, to press on, you have to forget what lies behind. As many of you know, if not all, you all know, I am a fantastic runner. I am blazing fast. I ran 10 miles this morning. Amen? You don't have to amen that. That was not true. As every great runner like me knows, while you're running, especially in a race, you can't look over your shoulder. You can't turn and look and see what's behind you because if you do... You'll get distracted, you'll stumble, you'll lose momentum. Paul says you have to forget what lies behind you. Forget your past, forget the past, neglect it, overlook it, stop caring so much about it. So many people, so many people put too much stock or focus too much on their past, does your past affect your life. Yes, sure it does. But your past doesn't have to determine your future. So many people live like their past has to determine their future. That's anti-gospel. The gospel says otherwise. Jesus says otherwise. There are two aspects that I see here, two different aspects of people's past that often come up and that distract them from what lies Ahead. One of those things is our past failures. Paul had past failures, did he not? But he says, I left those things behind. Paul was a persecutor of Christians even unto their death. Paul was present when Stephen was stoned in Acts 7 and 8. Paul was there. But he didn't allow those things to rule his life, and he didn't dwell on those things. Because he understood that he had been made new in Jesus, that he had to forget his past, and he had to look on towards the future. I was finishing up the book of Hebrews the other day, and I was going and reading through the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I started reading these people's names, and then I honestly, I started thinking, man, that dude right there, Abraham, he messed up, Moses messed up, Samson messed up, David messed up. I can keep going. Gideon blew it big time. You get where I'm going with this? Jesus is the only one, the only character, the only person in Scripture who did not fail. He's the only one. Now, when we sin, when we mess up, we're not meant to just avoid it, right? Sin must be dealt with, but when you deal with it, when you repent... Forget it. Forget it. Forget it and run on. Forget it and run on. That's the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. That he doesn't hold your past over your head. Don't let your past failures take your focus off of what lies ahead. If Paul wasn't careful, he also could have got caught up in his past achievements. Paul achieved a lot. Paul had done so much for the kingdom of God. He had built so many Jesus communities. He had done so much. He had preached so much. He had encouraged so much. He had seen harvest so much. But you never see his past victories bring up an excuse for him not to press on. Maybe you've had God do great things in your past. Don't let your past victories be an excuse for your complacency today. Don't get caught up in the success of your past. Constantly thinking about the good old days and the glory days. Anybody ever been to a high school reunion? I have not been to mine, I will admit. But, you know, the stereotypical thing, you, th- you see that guy, and it's 20 years later, and he comes in with his, his uh, jacket on. He's got all the chevrons on it, you know, because he won all the stuff, or even the girl. And th- they're talking about the good old days. Is it okay to think about the good old days? Yes, but some people never move past those good old days. Anybody seen Napoleon Dynamite? What a movie. You got Uncle Rico. What's wrong with Uncle Rico? You need to go watch it. it changed your life. Uncle Rico stuck in the past. He lives in a van. He's making videos of himself throwing a football, talking about how he could throw a pigskin a quarter mile in high school and if coach would have put him in, they'd have been state champs. No doubt in his mind. Stuck in the glory days, stuck in the past. Let me say, God may have done and I'm sure he has done great things in your past, but that does not compare to what lies ahead for you. The best is yet to come. Say that with me. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Palace of Praise, we've seen amazing things take place. Great things have happened. I was not at Ninth and Cedar, but I hear the stories. But I want you to know, those days were great. But I speak and believe the best is yet to come. If you believe the best is yet to come, when you give God some praise... In Jesus' name. Don't let your past success take your focus from what lies ahead. The next thing I want to cover that gets in the way of the one thing is this. And you might be wondering, where do you see this in the scripture? Well, there's two different places. One I'm about to tell you. And another one is, is not, depends on what commentary you read. And I'll get into that here in a little bit. Number two is this. Legalism. Legalism. Let me explain. Paul had once lived a life centered around following rules. And he was really, really good at it. Early in chapter three, go read it for yourself. Paul talks about how great he was. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was blameless. He called himself blameless under the law. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. What are Pharisees known for? Strict observance of the law. Traditional and written law. And if you've read the Gospels, you see Jesus talk to these people, these group of people all throughout the Gospels, saying different things, speaking different things. And in Matthew 15... He says this, just to summarize what he said. Go read this for yourself. This is what he said about Pharisees. He said, They honor me with their lips. They honor me with their outward actions. But their hearts are far from me. They're no different than anyone else on the inside. And in vain, they do worship me. In vain, they worship me. What does that mean? Their worship of me produces nothing. It's useless. All of the rule following failed to bring about righteousness. Verse 9, Philippians 3 says that righteousness comes slowly through faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. I talked to my kids about this a few weeks ago. We live in the Bible Belt. That's where we live. And from living here all my life, And from the research I've done, it seems that there are a lot of people in the Bible Belt, and that does not mean all. This is not a blanket statement. I'm just making a statement that I've seen this a lot, and statistics show this to be true. There are a lot of people who profess to be a Christian, but they're just like the Pharisees in Scripture. They're just law followers. They're just people with good morals. I call it Southern Saved. That's my own slang term for it. What does Southern Saved mean? Faithful church attenders, you pray before your meal, lots of lip service, no heart change. The Bible belt is full of legalism and it's full of moralism. What is moralism? It says, be good and work harder. Legalism is dependent on dependence on moral law rather than Religious faith. That's not the gospel, is it? The gospel says, I'm not good. And I need Jesus to do the work for me. And do the work through me. If good morals and following the rules and being religious was good enough, then why did Jesus come in the first place? He wouldn't have had to. Scripture makes that clear. If the old covenant was enough, if the law was enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. He could have stayed where he was. But hell is full of people that we went to their funerals and we looked in their casket and we said, that was a good woman. That was a good man. Hell is full of those people. And it's sad, but it's true. These people never pursued Jesus. They pursued good morals, good character, good values. They provided from their, for their family, lived a good life, and they went on. Instead of pursuing perfection, we are to pursue the one who is perfect. That's one thing. Legalism and rule following will never bring you righteousness. Only pursuing the one whom is Jesus will bring you righteousness. Righteousness. The last thing, the next thing I want to focus on that distracts us from the one thing is found in verse 18 and 19. I want to read those again. Verses 18 and 19 says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, when you study out these verses and you you try to figure out what group or what people Paul is talking to, it depends on what commentary you read or who you ask who Paul is talking to. Many believe that Paul is writing to people in this passage who have a profession of Christian faith, but they weren't walking according to the gospel. So they said they were something, but they were not. And as Paul described these people in these verses, I love how he writes that he is writing this with tears coming down his face. The third thing that gets not just people of the world, but people in the church, people who profess to know Jesus, the third thing that gets us off focus, off the one thing, is earthly things, temporal things. It's so easy to get focused on earthly things because at times they feel so much more tangible, so much more real. It's real easy to just get focused on your wife or a hobby or kids because sometimes feelings are deceptive but you feel like those things are more tangible and there are times that you just feel like God's far away but He's, he's not. It's really easy to just get focused on earthly things. And people are sitting in churches across this nation who claim to know Jesus, but the truth is their soul or mainly their focus is on things of this earth. Temporal things, sensual things. Things that are going to fade and pass away. Paul calls these people enemies of the cross. That does not mean that they were out there saying that the cross is not real or that the resurrection is not real. They just... We're living contrary to the cross and to following Jesus. He says this about these people with tears running down his face. Their God is their stomach. They follow their their lustful appetites. They pursue their flesh. Whatever their flesh wants, that's what these people go after. Been guilty of that. He says this next. They glory in their shame. When I read that, that just popped out to me. They glory in their shame. They show off things they should be ashamed of. There are things that, to me, living in the Bible Belt, are obvious you should be ashamed of. You don't go around bragging about adultery, you don't go around bragging about lying or stealing. But what about those things that aren't so obvious? What about the things that you glorify and give praise to without shame? Like a promotion at work. Or winning something, whether it be a contest or a championship. What if those things you give so much glory and brag about, what if those are things you should be ashamed of. And you might be saying, why should be ashamed of that? Is winning things shameful? No. Should be ashamed of being a winner? No. But what did this cost you? As Paul wrote that, I can see the tears coming down his face, and I sat and I thought about these people who, who just, <laughs> they're so happy about the wrong things. it's it's, it's okay to be happy about this, but what did it cost you? Was this what your life revolved around to win? Is this what you put all your time, your money, your effort doing? Is this really, when you examine yourself, is this what your life revolved around? Getting that promotion. Getting what you want. Winning. Sometimes I wonder, if the things we give glory to, if God sits in heaven and looks and says, you should be ashamed of that. That had all your focus. That had all your attention. These people's mind was set on earthly things. What are you focused on? Jesus? Is he your one thing? Are you just focused on the things that you can touch? Are you just focused on your flesh and satisfying and appeasing it? The final thing I want to say tonight, the final point I I want to make, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here at all, comes from verse 20 and 21. This is what it says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body To be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get excited. Our focus shouldn't be on earthly things because ultimately our citizenship is in heaven. Ultimately, we're living for things that are eternal. Ultimately, we're pursuing things that last forever, not things that are going to fade. Not things that are going to go away. People who are focused on Jesus realize and live like this world is not their home. That's how mature people live. This world's not their home. Are you focused on that? Are you focused on things that don't really matter? Would you stand with me tonight?